Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we get back to our series in James called The Matters of Real Christianity. We will continue in James chapter 1 today, where we will look at perspective, a matter of wisdom. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of James and follow along with Pastor Roy. Well, it's been a great morning already, and I do want to encourage you again just to be praying about uh, inviting someone uh, to come with you on Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm reminded of the words of Peter Drucker, who was a business guru. He wrote several books, and he wrote it from a business standpoint, but I relate it to the church. He said, whenever an organization is in existence only for the benefit of the insiders, to the neglect of the outsiders, that organization begins to die. And I think it's true. If, if the church is only in existence for us and we do not reach out, the church begins to die. So it's imperative that we reach out uh, to those who are lost uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and renew, ask God to renew your passion for that uh, as well. Well, today we continue our study on the book of James and thank Anthony for filling in uh, last week. Uh, We're talking about the matters of real Christianity is our sermon series, and today is perspective, a matter of wisdom. A couple weeks ago, we talked about trials, a matter of growth, and we're going to continue because in this whole perspective, a matter of wisdom, he's talking about wisdom in relationship to trials. And so he's not just talking about any kind of wisdom, but he's talking about specifically God giving us wisdom as believers in relationship to trials. And we also said at the outset that James dresses so many different things about prejudice within the church, about rich people within the church. He talks about fights and quarrels within the church. He talks about a problem with the tongue in the church. Um, He talks about faith and works, but all of it comes down to a matter of spiritual maturity God is trying to grow us to mature our faith so that we will be real Christians in a real world. Let me ask you a couple questions here at the outset. How is a teenager supposed to handle the breakup of a relationship and it feels like their life is over? How does a single person live with joy when God has not provided a mate? What lens is a young couple supposed to look through if they get married and are told that they will not be able to have children? What about a person who has endured one disappointment after another and can't seem to see positive in their future? Or what is the faithful believer to do when he or she has honored the Lord their whole life and then they are told they have a terminal illness? A couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to recount these quickly to remind us about the facts about trials. Number one is that trials are inevitable. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, not if, but whenever you face trials. It's inevitable we will face trials. Secondly, that trials will change us. We will not go through trials unchanged. The whole purpose of God taking us through trials is that we will come out the other end spiritually mature. And thirdly, that trials can be self-induced. We can make poor choices and decisions and bring trouble on ourselves that is personally caused 
or induced. And then we talked about the uh, purpose of trials, that we need to understand the purpose of trials. And let me just give these three. Trials are designed to help us grow in steadfastness. That's what he says, the testing of your faith. He says, you know, in verse 3, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or steadfastness. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it is designed to help us grow in steadfastness. Secondly, trials are designed to help us grow in our beliefs. And what I want you to notice, every one of these to help us grow in steadfastness, to help us grow in our beliefs. Every one of these are about growth for spiritual maturity. Trials are designed to help us grow in our character. And so that's what he's wanting us to do. We're going to go on with the next section now, beginning in verses uh, 5 through 11. And we're going to continue this whole idea about trials because, again, wisdom and perspective here that James is talking about is in relationship to trials. So the fourth thing we want to look at here today is that trials are designed to point out our lack of wisdom. It's designed to show us that human wisdom is insufficient to help me deal with the trials that I am in or going through. He says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. Trials will help us realize God's perspective to endure the trial when we ask for wisdom. Howard Hendricks taught a counseling class a number of years ago. Of course, he's in heaven today. But he tells a story about one of his students who came up to him after class. And he said, Prof, have you got anything a little more challenging? Yeah, he said, I think I can find something. Hendricks called up a friend at the Juvenile Delinquency Center in Dallas and told him, I've got a student who needs an education. He said, I've got the picture. He said, he sent the student out to the Juvenile Delinquency Center. They put him in a cell with a 14-year-old kid billed on 26 major counts. The state was just waiting for him to grow so they could put him away permanently. He was sitting with his feet propped up on the window seal when Hendrick's student was let in and the door clanked shut behind him. The kid turned and said, every day they send somebody in here with a different line, so what's yours? Prof, the student told Hendricks later, I lost it right there. He came back to class ready to learn more. He realized that he did not have the wisdom and the skill to help this student. He thought he knew everything. And so many times when we think we know so much, God puts us in a situation to really show us what we really know and what we really need to know. So wisdom is necessary to meet three significant needs in our life. And this is what God wants to give us. And that's why we need to ask for wisdom. He says if we lack wisdom, ask God. Number one, our need of skill for living. We need that. Wisdom provides the necessary skill that I need to navigate through life. We need skill for decision making, especially when I'm in the midst of a difficult trial. And the emotions are running all over the place. 
And it seems like I can't see what next week holds. I need the wisdom of God and skill for living. Poor choices come from a failure to ask God for wisdom or to know what God says and reject what he says to do. When I am hurting in the midst of a trial and I'm down and discouraged, this is God's opportunity to impart wisdom to me to help me grow and mature in my faith. The Bible tells us we see through a glass darkly, which means we don't see very well. And it means I have a very limited perspective, a limited vision, and a limited knowledge to be able to understand what is going on. So I have, I have a need for skill of living, and wisdom imparts that. And that's why it's good for young people, especially to read through the book of Proverbs, and even us older people, to be reminded of the wisdom that God gives for practical living. Secondly is our need for understanding we have a need to understand why God is taking us through, and not only why is he taking us through, but what does he want to teach me in the midst of that trial? I have a need to understand to how to interpret life, how to understand what is happening in my life, to have a proper perspective of what God wants me to learn through the trial. We have to remember that God knows us better than we know ourselves. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, the prophet Isaiah said, and his ways are higher than our ways. One of God's goals in the midst of trials, this is hard to believe, one of his goals in the midst of trials is not only to show the inadequacy of human wisdom, but God desires to destroy human wisdom. You say, really? Yeah, he wants to destroy human wisdom. He wants to show the utter foolishness and insufficiency of human wisdom. And one of the ways he does this is through trials. In 1 Corinthians 1.19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And this is what people don't understand when they're in the midst of trials and it doesn't make sense to them. They get frustrated and they get upset. And we even do that sometimes as believers, don't we? But yet God is trying to teach us and mature us in our faith to get us to grow. You see, trials poke holes in human wisdom, and human wisdom cannot make sense of trials. This lack of wisdom calls, causes a person to feel vulnerable and exposed. I think about the Apostle Paul when he was going through a hard time, and the Bible says that he was, he was so despairing even of life. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians 1, 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been to the end of your rope that you thought this was the end? That's where Paul was. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. That's what we do when we ask God for wisdom. We are relying on God instead of our own human intellect. And the third significant need in our life is our need to know the truth. 
We have a need to know the truth. God always speaks the truth, and in the midst of that truth, there is an eternal perspective. Because we live life in the here and now with clocks and watches and calendars, and God does not operate with clocks, calendars, and watches. He is above time. He transcends time. He is on an eternal mission, an eternal perspective. And our 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years here is pales in significance to eternity, which he's trying to mature us for. I remember a single gal that um, I worked with one time. She was having a, a real difficult time at work. She was having a real trial. This, her coworker was just giving her a lot of flack, and, and she couldn't get along with her, and she tried to get along with her, and, and she was looking for wisdom. What do I do? And I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go and, 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 and operate the way Daniel did. Daniel operated with wisdom and tact. You need to go in and sit down with her and say, you know what? I am trying to work with you. I'm willing to change my schedule. Um, I'm willing to change my days off. I'm willing to whatever it is. And is there anything else I can do to make our relationship better? And she was willing to do that. In fact, she had already done that. She had already changed her schedule and days off and switched with her. And I said, sit down and explain that to her and say, is there anything else I can do? And it totally diffused her. And, and, and even though it didn't fully work out then, they had to sit down with the supervisor. I said, then sit down with your supervisor and her and say, you know what? I have attempted to do this. I've changed my schedule. I've changed my days off. I've done this. I don't know what else I can do to improve our relationship. Can you help us? And see, and, and, it, and it brought them together in a closer relationship. And it's the wisdom of God. God gives us that kind of wisdom when we seek him in his word. Our need to know truth. Paul's perspective of what he was going through was so God could teach him about trusting God. My lack of wisdom is God's opportunity to help me to grow and to teach me. When I realize my lack of insight and I lack understanding and I lack skill and I lack confidence and I lack assurance, then I'm much more open to seeking God in prayer. Isn't that true? <laughs> when we feel the lack. Our motivation to seek God then is often based on need. Have you ever noticed when the cupboard is full, you don't feel a need to run to the grocery store? Have you ever noticed that? The cupboard is full, I don't feel like I need to run to the grocery store. But when the cupboard gets empty, what do I do? I feel this need to run to the grocery store. And I remember when I was single, I used to shop when I was hungry. They say never shop when you're hungry, you always buy more, it's true. Everything looks good when you're hungry. It's amazing. But God wants us to seek him, so our motivation is often based on our need. Here's a couple examples. The Israelites cried out to God because of their need for deliverance. Daniel prayed to God because of his need to interpret the king's dream. Paul prayed three times for God to remove his thorn in the flesh because of his need for relief. Gideon prayed for clarity and understanding because of his need for assurance of God's will. And so our need often motivates us. When we understand that we need God's wisdom, we will seek it out. And I'll tell you, when I feel like I need God's wisdom the most is before I stand up to preach. 
And when I'm preparing my sermons, I'm like, God, I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your, your help to be able to do this task that is really beyond me. Let's move on. Trials are also designed to magnify the wisdom of God. To magnify the wisdom of God. Notice what he says here in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given him. What is it that God is giving? It's wisdom. So what is God magnifying by giving us wisdom? He's magnifying his wisdom in the midst of our trials. God is magnifying his wisdom. He tells us here in uh, Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So when we open the scriptures, God is imparting wisdom to us. We lack wisdom when we're going through a trial. Let's open the word of God and see what God says to us about that. Let's get on our knees in prayer and say, God, I need your wisdom and grace to help me through this trial. The wisdom of God is necessary for the godly to be able to discern and carry out God's will. Proverbs 3, 13 and 14, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. It means we should be seeking God's word more than we seek the stock page <laughs> through the week. Because it, the yield that it brings, the benefit that it brings to us. He says he gives it generously without mental reservation, without hesitation. He gives it to us without duplicity, without an undivided mind. In the Old Testament, this was a term that meant integrity. God gives it to us with integrity, with wholeness. And James uses it in reference to God. And he doesn't berate us or belittle us for asking. In fact, he wants us to ask. He doesn't criticize us or put us down. He says it will be given him. It will come into our possession. God's gift of wisdom will profit us, profit us greatly. I'm reminded of the story in the Old Testament. When King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to understand his dream... And he couldn't make sense out of it. And he calls in the wise men of Babylon to tell him the interpretation of the dream. And they couldn't figure it out either with their, all their magic and all their mystic powers. They couldn't figure it out. And Daniel asked for time to interpret the dream. And what did Daniel do? He got alone and he sought the Lord to give him wisdom. And what did God do? He gave him the answer. He gave him the answer. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. The result of God revealing the answer to Daniel magnified the wisdom of God. Because what did Daniel do? He pointed that pagan king to God. And it magnified the Lord. I asked you some questions at the outset of this message. Now I want to come back to them for a moment. I started off with, how is a teenager supposed to handle the breakup of a relationship when it feels like their life is over? By understanding that he or she has a great high priest 
who is touched with the feelings of our weakness. When I understand the wisdom of that, that I have a high priest who feels my brokenness inside, and I can go to him and I can cry and I can weep in his presence, and God can impart his wisdom to me, and he can heal the broken heart, that's the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of the world can't heal brokenness. That's the wisdom of God. And I can accept the invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence, to receive mercy and find grace to help me in my time of need. That's the wisdom of God. Where else are you going to go to get that? You will get God's perspective on your broken heart. And by doing that, God's wisdom will be magnified. How does a single person live with joy when God has not provided a mate? By seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allowing God to add the other things unto your life. By doing that, you will get God's perspective and by doing that, God's wisdom will be magnified. God will be magnified. What lens is a young couple supposed to look through if they get married and are told they will not be able to have children? Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God's plan. I don't understand God's plan, and you can say that to God, and you can even say it in frustration, but you say, God, you are God, and I am not, and your ways and thoughts are higher than mine, and I submit to you, maybe you have a different plan for our lives. Would you seek the plan of God? And when you do, you will find great joy and contentment and fulfillment in that plan. That I can say with a promise. With a promise. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. When I get God's perspective on that, God's wisdom is magnified. What about a person who has endured one disappointment after another and can't seem to find anything positive in their future? It's one hurt, it's one disappointment, it's one brokenness after another. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This person's life is purified and their testimony shines for God. When someone looks at their life, they see Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God is magnified. Because the trials of life are designed to purify us. And when we become pure, people don't see us, they see Jesus. When we become spiritually mature, we get an eternal perspective. What is a faithful believer to do when he or she has honored the Lord their whole life and then is told they have a terminal illness? Psalm 139, 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, when I understand that God has ordained my life from 
before conception how many days I'm going to live. I can rest in the sovereignty of God. And God's wisdom is magnified because I live with that eternal perspective even though I don't understand what I'm going through. Trials are designed to cause our faith and theological understanding to collide. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and it really is true. Because trials come at us this way, and our faith is here, and there's a collision that happens. And notice he says in verse 6, But when he asks God for wisdom, he must believe, that's our faith, and not doubt, that's with our theological understanding. There's a collision that takes place. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He says that we are not to doubt the Lord. Doubting indicates a distrust. However, let's be realistic. Do any of us ever doubt I do. Do you? Did people in the Bible doubt? Did Abraham doubt God? Yeah, he did. But really, the tenor of his whole life was one of consistency. And I think that's what he's looking for, and it was one of loyalty to the Lord. And I think that's what God is saying. He's looking for loyalty, that our, our doubt would not make us disloyal and distrust him and discredit his character, that we would trust him. Unbelief makes a person waver in his faith. His whole concept of God is divided. His theological understanding is being tested. And we live with this inner conflict between trust and distrust of the Lord. And it can make us inconsistent in our walk with the Lord. Paul's point as one theologian said, is not that Abraham never entertained any doubt about God's promise, but that Abraham over many years displayed a consistency in his faith in God. So James is not saying here, claiming that prayers will never be answered where any degree of doubt exists. For some degree of doubt on some occasions is probably inevitable in our present state of weakness. Rather, he wants us to understand that God responds to us only when our lives reflect a basic consistency of purpose and intent, and we are, have a spiritual integrity in our life. That God is the anchor for our soul. And we pray trusting him. He talks about a double-minded man. Here he's talking about a man who is two-souled. Spiritual schizophrenia, as it were instead of trusting the Lord. And notice he says, if we lack wisdom, we ask God who gives to all men generously. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to give it to us. He desires to give it to us. He is not looking for a reason to withhold wisdom. He's wanting to give it to us. In Matthew 7, it says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Ravi Zacharias made this insightful comment. He said to walk away from one's faith because of unanswered questions about evil is to walk into a storm of unanswered questions about good. (laughs) We don't even understand the goodness of God. And we want to run away from it. And then he goes into a discussion, and it looks like he kind of shifts his focus in verses 9 and 10 and 11. He says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like the wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Here he's talking about, again, having a perspective of a poor Christian. That he should rejoice in his high position. Why? Because he is identified with Jesus Christ. And even though he may have material and physical poverty, he has spiritual wealth. Because he's identified with Jesus Christ. He has a high position of being identified with Jesus. The rich believer is humbled because of the trials he has to go through. Even though he has material wealth and success and influence, he is humbled because of the difficult trials he has to go through. And he needs to rejoice in the grace of God that is provided for him as well. And his identification with Christ. Again, it's the perspective that we have. Whether poor or wealthy, my perspective is I'm identified with Jesus Christ. That's what's significant. And he talks about the sun rising and scorching the heat and withering the plant. I like John MacArthur's comment on this. He says, this is a picture of the the flowers in Palestine the flowering grasses which colorfully flourish in February to May. And then when that sun gets hot, it scorches the plants and it burns them up. And it's a, a, an allusion to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, where the wind burns and destroys the plants in its path. This is to remind us how quickly death and judgment can end a person's wealth and influence. And so our trust needs to be in the Lord. Let me close with this. In an online article for Leadership Journal, John Ortberg discusses how adverse trials and situations are necessary for our spiritual growth. Psychologist Jonathan Hyde had a hypothetical exercise He says, imagine you have a child, and for five minutes, you're given a script of what that child's life will be. You get an eraser. You get to edit that script. And you can take out whatever you want. You read that your child will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easily for some kids, will be laborious for yours. In high school, your kid will make a great circle of friends, and then one of them will die of cancer. After high school, this child will actually get into the college they wanted to attend. While there, 
they will be in a car crash and your child will lose a leg and go through a difficult depression. A few years later, your child would get a great job, then lose that job in an economic downturn. Your child will get married and then go through the grief of separation. You get this script for your child's life and you have five minutes to edit it. What would you erase? Wouldn't you take out all the stuff that would cause them pain? And isn't it interesting that God uses the pain of trials to teach us his wisdom? Let's stand for a word of prayer. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The matters of real Christianity, perspective, a matter of wisdom. I only touched on a few possibilities of what can transpire in our lives. But let me ask you now, as you take a personal inventory of your own life, how significant is the wisdom of God for you? And here's how you can find out how important is the Word of God in your life? How important is seeking the knowledge of God and the truth of God in your life? How significant is your prayer life that you need God's wisdom? Because the truth of the matter is the trials of life are going to have a collision with our theological understanding. And is my faith strong enough when it's tested that I will persevere and stand the test of time? That's what God is asking. And the real test is not usually the trial. The real test is what is my theological understanding as I go through that trial. In other words, what is my belief about God in the midst of that trial? Do I recognize the goodness of God? the power of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God. When I'm, when I'm broken, when I'm devastated. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but I will tell you this. If you are going through a trial, or when you go through a trial, you can count on it that God is knocking on your door saying, will you let me in? Are you going to let me in? Are you going to continue to limp through life, defeated and broken and eventually bitter? God is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you're going through trials, do you know what God is trying to do? He's trying to get your attention, saying, I want into your life. <laughs> I want to save you. I want to help you. I want to be your friend. And if you are a believer and God is knocking on the door of your heart with a trial, you know what he's saying? I'm inviting you into a deeper, intimate walk with me. Are you going to accept my invitation? Because God wants to grow every one of us. And it is the pain of life that God speaks to us through 
I don't know why that is. I wish, I wish even in my own life it wouldn't require pain. But it does. I don't know why. We, we get so comfortable with our human wisdom and then God has to come along and knock the props out from under us. So maybe you're here today. I want to encourage you that God's wisdom is available for your trial. And he wants to help you more than you want to be helped. Will you humble yourself and say, God, I need your wisdom? If you have questions about your spiritual life or you would like someone to pray with you, I'll be shaking hands at the back door. Please hang around and wait, and I would be glad to pray with you. Or come over to me and tell me you would like me to pray with you. And we'll be glad to do that. If you want to know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please approach me. Don't quench the work of the Spirit in your life today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.